Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's. Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> I never thought I'd say this, but Ireland's opening UEFA Nations League fixture this September can't come quickly enough. Hello and welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi Ken, hi Murph. Hi Hello there, Owen. This is a bit of a sea change. From well, long ago. yeah, it's not because I'm excited to work through the convoluted tournament structure, but because that match against Wales on September 6th counts as a competitive fixture, apparently, which gives Martin O'Neill the chance to secure the services of one of the best young footballers around, Declan Reisenbauer, <laughs> who made a Dirk Kaiser-like debut in Friday's Friendly in Turkey. Wearing number 10 as well. Yeah. Why, why was he wearing number 10? I'm not quite sure, again. Logistical reasons, perhaps. Um, well, I mean... I'm, there's a couple of things about what you said there on number one why are you surprised that the UEFA Nations League is a competitive game well they're are they not friendlies <laughs> competitive games you saw oh, when were you not I mean we went through this competitive great, like, games have always been qualifiers or tournaments they are qualifiers but they're not qualifiers but they are qualifiers they're, aren't they qualifiers for the qualifiers no no there's, there's an actual there are actually there are actual qualifying places at stake for each of the four so leagues. how do we qualify we win our section. Yeah. It's just so real for a Starkhead. Against we Denmark and Wales. So, so we wiped Denmark and Wales. Four please, wins out of four. Please, Are we through? It's too much winning. We, we can't take it anymore. Oh Are we through to the Euros at that stage? No. We then have to win uh, sort of playoffs against um, the other the other three winners. And then uh, we're through to the, the Euros. Then we're through to the and Euros. don't have to even bother doing the qualifiers after that. Uh, no, we do the qualifiers anyway. But if we if we've already qualified through the qualifiers, then then someone else will take our place in the playoff for the Nations League. So then there's just a lot of dead rubbers. No, they're not. They're, qualifiers. All of the teams involved in the Nations League playoffs will ha- will not yet have qualified and will be aiming to qualify. Oh no, I'm saying then the qualifiers become dead rubbers if we've already. Qualified no, because the Nations, the Nations League. League playoff happens after the qualifiers, <laughs> so so you know whether you've qualified before you do the playoff. You know, Are we is, not both saying the same thing? You know, this is really one of those situations where I'm perfectly happy to understand it only at the moment when the thing it's, is happening. It's simple. How, what, how can you not understand it? It's simple. It's so complicated. It's really simple. I can't like this. I don't know what he's. You win. About you over you there. win a three-team group. You go into a four-team playoff. You win that. You're in the Euros. And then, what's the point to playing your European qualifiers after that? 
The European qualifiers are there, and if you qualify for them, you're in the Euros. So you don't have to do these playoffs. Someone else will do the playoffs. What? You're, just, you're pretending to Oh, so you haven't stupid. played the playoffs. No, I'm not. The, the I'm playoffs only happen after the qualifiers have been completed. The playoffs happen after the qualifiers have been completed. Of course, Correct. Sense, Correct, yeah. yes. Yeah, I've got you now. It's actually simple. Well, Declan Reisenbauer is certainly saying all the right things. That mm. learning and singing the national anthem brought a tear to his eye. He tweeted his delight at picking up the Man of the Match award and added a shamrock emoji and a green love heart emoji. Very proud moment for me and my family. Big love to my dad who came all the way out to come and watch. So the signs are good, as Paul Rowan wrote in the Sunday Times. It would take some dexterity to reverse out of that position. And yet, Ken, and yet, dexterity is a quality that has been displayed by... Declan Rice. Yeah, by... Well, not by Declan Rice, but by Declan Rice's predecessor in this will-he-won't-he role. A certain Jay Grealish. Oh, who? who? Oh. You remember J- Jack Grealish, right? I don't even know who you're talking he about. He was though. very fond himself of the shamrock emoji. Remember, he used to put quite a few into many of his tweets yeah. around the time we thought he was going to declare for us. So I'm going to go, go ahead and just reserve the right to feel uneasy until Declan Rice plays that game against Wales, which is very competitive, Ken, as Mops you said. to the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. I'm saying that Declan cap Rice him, John, cap him. cannot back out at this stage of representing the Republic of Ireland forever. He's he stuck, cannot do it. He's stuck with it now. Well, he could, but he'd have to be like an Englishman in a Mel Gibson movie. Like he, <laughs> would, he would have to be the, the heart and soul of uh, that king Perfidious that, Albion. Yeah, that king that threw your man from Ballykiss Angel out the window in Braveheart. Yeah, Edward the Longshanks. That, that's the man. I'm, th- I'm thinking more particularly of, is it Jason Isaacs who plays the, the British officer in The Patriot? Th- yeah, sitting on top of his horse being incredibly obnoxious. Mm. Again, incredibly obnoxious. Oh, yeah, and also uh, committing a hell of a lot of war crimes. Yeah, yeah, that too. Until uh, eventually justice is served by Mel Gibson. Uh, Now, unless Declan Rice is in that league, Mm. I expect him to be an Ireland international from this point on. He's played for us now, and you just, come on, like, come on. It's one thing to play, you know, for the U team. It's another thing to actually play for uh, the full international team. Have the nation fling itself at your feet in supplication <laughs> and then to say, actually, you know what? I've had the call from Gareth Southgate. No. Emmett Malone was in Turkey to watch Declan Rice make his debut, so we'll talk to him about that. We're all still decompressing here from the Paul Kimmage, Richie Sadler conversation, intense as it was on the World Service last week. And our fifth celebration continue this week with legendary filmmaker Ken Loach, quite a football fan, you may or may not be aware, and a fan of one footballer in particular. He has been in this building. He's christened the the uh, the, the smallest room in the building. He's christened. Um, this would this would be the bathroom. I went, yeah, to, go, yeah, I went, bathroom. I went to go to the Twitter and explained. Uh, Eric Cantona has also stood over that, yeah. which, which is quite a, quite, quite a thrill for me. I got well, I, I hope it was intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was a, a great. Well, he is a great guy, and. Um, Great fun to work with, um, an extraordinary presence. I mean, a wonderful player. You know, everybody's sings his praises, but he, a wonderful player and a great sense of humour. In the film, Eric plays like the public version of himself, this uh, philosopher, footballer, making these kind of enigmatic, sta- but rather empty statements. And uh, he took great delight in in the pomposity of them. <laughs> so I mean, he sent himself up with a real joy and, and a lovely man and a good friend and I'm really you know honoured to know him that's the first clip you've heard of the Ken Loach interview Ken it's myself and Murph I thought Ken Loach meeting. there was 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 um, talking about you using his toilet 
No, I was using his toilet. Oh, okay. But as I'm using, not as I'm using his toilet, I asked him, where is the toilet? And he said, oh, it's just through there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Eric Cantona has stood over that urinal. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah. Yeah, now that sounds, sounds sounds like good stuff. Huh? It is very good stuff. When can I hear that? You can hear that tomorrow on the World Service. You are signed up, Ken. Looking for I, I actually am. I actually am signed up. Good to hear. That is very yeah, good to hear. Yeah. If you are not like Ken and you are not fortunate enough to be signed up <laughs> to the World Service, you can do it on secondcaptains.com right now. Ken Loach was in great form and it was a good chat, so you can hear that tomorrow. Let's report on some sport, please, Ken. Well, Owen, it's um, how long till the World Cup now? We're towards the end of March, April, May, World Cup. That's what we're at. So, uh, so a lot of things are happening now. Things that things that always happen before the World Cup. And I was I was heartened, gladdened to see uh, this weekend the World Cup ball story. Uh, Adidas FIFA Telstar uh, number eighteen uh, being what's happening to the what what's happening on with the ball? Uh, they've changed the design. It's too light. And who's who's angry about it? Goalkeepers. Correct, John. Uh, Pepe Reina. Uh, I bet you as much as you like, we'll see at least 35 goals from long range in Russia because it's impossible to work out this ball, grumbled Pepe Reina. It's covered in a plastic film that makes it difficult to hold on to. Goalkeepers will have a lot of problems with this ball. Uh, David De Gea said, it's really strange. It could have been made a lot better. Uh, you could be quite uncharitable to Pepe Reina, but I'm I not going to be. Yeah, I was, <laughs> don't, I was, don't worry about, I'm it. Thinking about it. Don't it sweat the small stuff, Pepe. <laughs> yeah. You're just there for the celebration, Pepe. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Marc-André Terstegen from the Adidas-sponsored uh, German national team says, The ball could be better. It moves a lot. But I think we're just going to have to get used to working with it and try to get to grips with it as quickly as possible before the World Cup starts. We've got no other option. So he's just uh, prepared to, you know, face up to what's face up to the inevitable, yep. I guess. Um, of course, um, do they need this ball? 150 euros? You know, I'm sure I do this for making a lot of money off the ball as usual. People run out to buy it, but is it even any better? You know, this myth of, of progress that we seem to have, like, are the balls better? I don't know. <laughs> Why are we having this conversation? It's the it's just this thing that gets cranked out every four years. It does, yeah. Every single tournament. It is somewhat legitimate, though. The 2010 World Cup, I think, in particular, had a very ropey ball. The Jabilani on. Yeah. We were speaking about We were speaking about that last week. Yeah, yeah. Maradona was not a fan of it. No. Couldn't get spin on it. But because he couldn't get spin on it, it moved in a slightly more uh, unpredictable direction. A bit like the knuckleball in baseball that we spoke in the US Murph about in the past, where you essentially take the spin off the ball. Mm. But because you're not spinning it, it's kind of just taking this weird trajectory through the air, floating almost through the air. Yeah. Well, the ball is like, you know, it's just one of those things that we, it's one of those ritual things that we go through every yeah. four years. Another ritual, another tradition is uh, when there is a big rugby victory in this country, it's time for a rugby is a heartbeat of the race piece <laughs> by one of our top rugby men uh, this week. Next uh, up to bat, Neil Francis Neil Fra of the Sunday Independent. Neil Francis, uh, who... He waits for a weekend when there's, you know, it's an international football weekend, but with no international football of the weekend. Ireland have played one of the more dispiriting friendlies uh, in recent years at, at you know, what, five o'clock on a Saturday, or Friday, rather, Friday evening. Um, some guy called Liam Kelly has just refused the call up. And this is when Frano chooses to strike. 
with the with the uh, rugby is the heartbeat of the race. Is it too easy to pen an aren't we great article of the week after after collecting a grand slam? <laughs> Is it stretching it too far, possibly, to say that rugby now is the nation's game? So that's how it starts. Uh, and he goes on to to base a, to make an argument that, that rugby is the top uh, dog uh, because the rugby team wins matches. And uh, a lot of people watch it, watch them winning matches. If nothing succeeds like success, well, then rugby is the standout game on this island. In the same sense that Dennis O'Brien is the standout Irishman, rugby is the standout game, uh, if this is the metric. Although he, t- he talks a little bit about the, um, the, the audience, the, the diversity of the audi- audience. I meet hundreds of people from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds each week. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all though, you know? Every last single one of them watched the game, watched all five games, watched the win in Chicago. How did they though? I mean, uh, I didn't watch the win in Chicago, but I haven't met Neil Francis last week. Did you watch it? The match in Chicago, yeah. Was Maybe Franco's already got someone from your uh, socioeconomic background, so you're covered. Well, I thought I should I should look at the um, the TV audience just to see how many people watch the the win in Chicago because it should obviously be top of the uh, list for 2016 of TV programs in Ireland, but it doesn't actually appear on the list. No, because that's because it was on Air Sports, or it might have even still been Satanta at the time, was it? Anyway, whatever. It wasn't on Free to Air. Yeah. Although what was on free to air on was the next test against New Zealand, uh, like a, a month or six weeks later. Two weeks, or whatever. Yes. Two weeks, Two weeks later. Um, which was watched on by fewer people than Mrs. Brown's boys, Mammy's Forest. Good episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, and also fewer people than Portugal versus Wales and Portugal versus France in Euro 2016. Now I don't I don't understand what's going on here, Mrs. Brown. Is am I am I? Is there going to be an article about how Mrs. Brown's boys is our national sport? Is the best? Is the is the best? Uh, I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of people watching. There's certainly more people watching it than, than Ireland against uh, New Zealand. I think maybe the second best line: is, the number of women who watch rugby union in this country is incredible. The number of women in the Aviva on match day, the number who travel, their knowledge. And ability to speak authoritatively is impressive. Manon and Heron find the game attractive and entertaining. The social aspect is good too. Great to have you aboard, ladies. <laughs> oh dear. Why am I rising to this bait? Mm. I mean, that like, is a, that is a question. That, yeah. Why why are you rising to this? Because there was no international football on Sunday or, or Saturday. Ah, I see what you're saying. I will say this. I mean, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of guts on Friday's part to write an entire article along these lines and not even mention Gaelic football once. Ah, he did mention Gaelic football. No, no, he, may, he, he talked about how hurling... Yeah, but he says the big advantage rugby has over the GAA is international dimension. Now, is, yeah. he, is it presumably when the GAA there means the GAA football? No. No? It means the GAA. Well, then, well he, he talks about the International Rules Series. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, he talks about the International Rules Series, which is fine, which maybe 20% of GA fans are interested in. I mean, he, what he, what the point he's trying to make, I presume, is not about viewing figures and not about playing figures. I, well, I don't know what point he's trying to make, but he, he runs through hurling. He goes through hurling and says, it's a great game to watch, but it's a, it, what are the other 29 counties doing when these three counties, Kilkenny, Cork and Tipperary, are, Tipperary, are strutting their stuff? Hmm. I mean, 
Yeah, that's great. What about the other game there in the GA stable, which is played by all, well, 31 of the 32 counties? Listen, I can't believe now that I'm talking about it, but there we go. Yeah. Uh, I, look around, I look around, I see what's happening, I see what the kids are interested in. I see the national, I'm, I assume the representative cross-section of the population from hundreds of people from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds that Neil Francis meets every week must include a representative sample of um, under-18s you know, to uh, uh, who who disclosed to him, you know, the sporting events that they've taken an interest in over the past uh, six to six to eight weeks. The one um, seemingly indisputable indisputable part of Neil France's argument, which is that the rugby team is more competitive internationally than the football team, mm. I did see pointed out today that even that actually is kind of disputable, considering at the biggest stage neither of them got past the quarterfinal, mm. and Ireland made it in their made it there in their first ever. World Cup. Yeah, I mean, there there is an argument that um, that you know, getting to the quarterfinal of the World Cup in, in football is a bit like you know making it to within like uh, five hundred meters of the summit of Everest before having to turn back in adverse weather conditions. Whereas for Ireland to reach the quarterfinal of the Rugby World Cup is like turning up at the at the foot of the Sugarloaf on a Sunday morning and then twisting your ankle. <laughs> You know, when you and not actually climbing the sugar loaf, there is the, that is an argument that some people would, some people if they're into cheap shots, Owen uh, might make. No disrespect to um, that great French team that we beat at the last World Cup or the sugar loaf. No, um, but yeah, I mean, he, he obviously doesn't go into participation or anything like that because that wouldn't wouldn't help the argument. But you know, it's it's look, it's it's a good knockabout. It's knockabout fun anyway. But you know, it is. It, it does seem. I I wonder about this. Like I I remember the. You know, when Ireland beat Italy, was it a case of I'm talking I'm talking about the Euro 2016, not the Six Nations. Um, the, you know, football truly is the top uh, game, and all the other games must um, must uh, grovel before. Was was that a thing that happened at that time? A little bit, yeah. Did it? Well, not so much. Uh, not in a as triumphal as the tone as no, you're describing no, there. I wouldn't have thought but so. there was a lot of other oh, team has fallen back in love with the... No, there was, there was a lot of uh, football tournaments. I've heard, heard this said a lot of the time. Football tournaments affect the country in a way that rugby and these other sports just can't quite touch. Yeah. That was said at the time. Well, we have been... Um, we, we have been... Not great. I mean, when he says Ireland have been terrible to watch, I'm kind of like, yeah. I mean, who can deny? Who can deny this? <laughs> I mean, the structure of competition is a big thing. I mean, you 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 were pretending not to understand the Nations League earlier, but it it it, it does going to have Pretending. it's going to have us playing against Wales and Denmark. Playing against Wales in football isn't really interesting in the way that playing against them in rugby is. You know, even though they, uh, I don't know. I mean, is the Welsh. The Welsh football team was actually in the top ten in the world, wasn't it? And they have got Gareth Bale, although they did. They've got Gareth Bale, but you know, when you, the point is that the structure, the, the structure of competition in international rugby is very favourable to Ireland. You know, you got to, you, you get to play against England every year. You get to play against France every year. You know, um, certainly, some, if there was a setup, a similar setup in international football, I imagine it would be quite a big deal. You know, imagine there was a Six Nations-style thing that Ireland were competing in every year with England, France, Italy, Wales, and Scotland. I'd say that would be would be quite big, um, but of course we don't get to do that because we're not we're not. Um, I mean, the Nations League is kind of designed to create a little bit of this for some of the other. For, you know, if you're in the top league, you do get to play against the, the sort of biggest countries, 
it's kind of designed to replace the boring friendlies for those countries with sort of more meaningful games. But in order to get into that kind of league, we first of all have to get promoted from our little league. Anyway, uh, look, um, let's move on quickly on. Uh, there are other things going on. The big thing that happened over the, on Sunday was uh, was a, a roller coaster day of news for Arsenal Football Club. Uh, first of all, Kicker magazine in Germany reported that Thomas Tuchel, the very talented uh, former Borussia Dortmund coach, was going to be joining Arsenal in the summer. Uh, and this was, oh, that's, that's really interesting. What, a, what an appointment for Arsenal. You know, Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan played absolutely out of their skins for this guy's team. On the other hand, didn't he have a massive toxic falling out with Sven Mislintat, the Arsenal scout who went to Arsenal largely because he'd been so marginalised by, hmm, Thomas Tuchel. Did, is, you know, is this a... Um, does, does this give us reason for scepticism? And what actually then happened was that various other German journalists... Kicker is usually very, very... Um, Reliable if they report something, it generally happens. But other journalists are saying, no, no, there isn't any such thing. He may, he may be going to PSG. The story originally came out because Bayern were trying to hire him. And he told them, I'm sorry, Bayern, I can't. But you can't just say to Bayern, nah. You have to say to Bayern, I, you, you have to give them a reason. And his reason was, I'm going to manage a uh, top club uh, abroad. Uh, and obviously, somebody at Bayern blabbed this. Uh, and then it became, okay, well, which club can it be? There's really only Paris Saint-Germain, Chelsea, and Arsenal in that kind of category of team who are likely to be looking for a new manager. So uh, the link with Arsenal was was made from there. As to whether there's anything behind it, I don't know. But the one, I mean, I think it would be good um, appointment for Arsenal. But the, I would be a little bit surprised if Arsenal were to. I mean, I'm not saying that this is impossible by any means, but wouldn't it be a bit Mm, if Arsenal were to put Arsene Wenger into the sort of Manuel Pellegrini position, remember when he was the, the kind of caretaker manager at Man City for a while while everybody was waiting for Pep Guardiola, I think that would be a little bit much, <laughs> wouldn't it, it? it? Yeah, but it kind of feels like that's what he's in at the moment anyway. Like he's the caretaker manager for an as yet unidentified successor. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, you know, notice though he's sort of accepted that's the way it is, but there is a sort of feeling of that about it. Uh, he actually gave an interview um, to be in sports where he suggested a lot of the criticism of him is to do with age discrimination because, uh, you know, if he was another manager, uh, he says, when you age, you focus on doing well for your club and ignore all the rest. The older you get, the more it becomes age discrimination. I accept if the results aren't good enough, you have to take the consequences. But overall, that perpetual thing of how long you've been at a club, how old you are, I find that a bit difficult to take. I kind of thought, well, look, if you had, if you weren't who you who you are, you would have been sacked a long time ago. You, you really would. You know, he, he, on the one hand, it's the status, it's the it's the body of work that's kept him in the job. And on the other hand, he's saying he doesn't want people constantly talking about this. It's the only thing, it's the only reason he still has a job. And also, if he was winning the title the way that Ferguson was in older age than Wenger now is, nobody would be looking for him to go. There wouldn't, wasn't any age discrimination about Ferguson. It was just people... Going, oh, you know, how long can Sir Alex keep going? You know, I remember when, this, when, when it was reported he was going to have a hip operation. You know, actually just before he announced that he was retiring. That was real. Oh, no. You know, uh, will, will Ferguson be fighting fit for the, for the start of the new season? Nobody was saying, oh, maybe it's time at 71 for Alex Ferguson to, to step off. Just, you know. No, I don't think it's ever been a thing, really. No, so, so come on. Football coverage. Age discrimination. 
please. Um, what else is going on? Uh, there was a quote from um, <laughs> a quote from Peter Grant, the, the assistant manager of Scotland. You see, I don't know if you noticed on um, Scotland played Costa Rica on Friday, watched by Jose Mourinho, uh, who was there to scout Scott McTominay uh, as he made his international debut, I guess, for Scotland. Um, Pogba, of course, on the bench for France as they lost to Colombia, having been 2 0 up. But uh, the Scottish assistant manager said, You look at him and you think, he can't be Scottish because he's six foot four, passes the ball really well, and is playing central midfield for Manchester United. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah, there was, there was, of course, the, there was a major furore over the size of Scotland's footballers. When was that? That's right. Strachan said... Yeah, uh, we're just too small. Gen- yeah. Was it genetically or nutritionally? Yeah. Uh, there was some reason why the Scots weren't um, coming up to scratch physically. Um, I think he may have suggested that there should be some sort of eugenics, is that what it's called? Mm. Program. Oh, he he did. He didn't he suggest some kind of Yao Ming thing. Yeah. Well, I offered them Shane Duffy. Uh, <laughs> Still waiting for a reply from the Scottish FA on that one, but um, Mino uh, Raiola, uh, for some reason, has uh, talked again about Pep Guardiola. Obviously, they're not friends. Pep Guardiola, the coach, is fantastic as a person, an absolute zero, a coward, a dog, a classic priest. Do as I tell you. Don't do what I do. If Manchester City win the Champions League this season, it will emphasise that he's a good coach. But I hate it. Um, yeah. Uh, he talks about how he tells Latan to park in Guardiola's car park space. Um, you know, crazy Pep Guardiola is trying to act like a tough guy. Actually, he is weak, both mentally and physically, and yet he threatens me with physical assault. He doesn't know me, but he would go down fast and hard, crying all the way. Um, that's more of uh, Guardiola's or, or, or Mino's talk. Um, where are we? The other thing I wanted to mention was England. England obviously played in. Amsterdam. I don't know if you saw any of these shameful videos. Oh, the supporters throwing drinks over boat people mm. in boats going on canals and that mm. kind of stuff. Mm. A lot of drink taken and whatnot. And hundred arrests, over hundred arrests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think the Dutch were greatly amused by no. by what went on. The um, victims of those kind of incidents are generally find it less humorous than the perpetrators. No, I do have to admit, Owen, that I did laugh at the video of the England supporters uh, awaiting one of those canal boats uh, which was making its way down the canal with a horrible inevitability towards the bridge where they were all congregated and they were all presaging its arrival with a sort of a long and extended cheer and as soon as the boat came within range they threw all their beer down on the boat and this wasn't funny Owen and yet somehow (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know on why, I, I mean, I know this is wrong, and yet somehow I ended up laughing at it. But of course it's not funny. <laughs> now, they, there was a hundred arrests. And, uh, an article by Alan Shearer in The Sun, uh, talking about his shame as he, as he watched these scenes. You almost end up looking away when people ask where you were from. Does anyone ever ask Alan Shearer where he's from anymore, by the way? When's the last time that actually happened? When you go back to a city, our hooligans have defiled. Um, and he then talks, he goes on to talk about, well, it's kind of strange because he talks about the shame of the, the trash. He uses the word trash about the, uh, you know, lock him up and throw away the key, I would say, about the hundred arrests. <laughs> just no parole. There's <laughs> just a hundred 
under duress. If, there will be decent law-abiding law people reading this asking why should they be aligned with the worst trash that we export abroad in the name of sport. No, you shouldn't be. And he actually then goes on to talk mainly about how English fans are targeted now for overzealous policing, both by police and by, well, in the case of Russia 2018, the Russians, mm. um, who have a serious lunatic fringe, according to Shearer. So this is why his um, his friends and family will not be um, will not be accompanying him to Russia as he, when he goes there to do his uh, his punditry. Um, so it was so. So on the one hand, he's, he's criticizing England fans for what they've uh, for their behaviour. But on the actually, most of the article was about how it's going to be very dangerous for them because they're English. We're seen as the enemy in Russia, uh, Shearer said. Although the thing is that they kind of are the enemy now. I mean, if you look at like what's happening at the moment, insofar as there's an enemy, it is in fact. Uh, England. This was something that came up then with Gareth Southgate. It was being remember we were talking last week about the, what Boris Johnson had been saying about Russia. Gareth Southgate was clearly asked about this. Um, he said, "I've not, I've got no interest in what the foreign secretary says. Uh, you know, I've been in Russia basically having a good time uh, for the Confederations Cup. It was, it was really amazing." Then he goes on to say. This is quite interesting. This is this is actually before the Holland game on Friday. But he says, I don't think we should just talk about racism in Russia. We've got to get our own house in order. There's still things going on in our own country around racism that aren't correct. We keep pointing the finger at Russia, who we're going to be guests of in the next couple of months. We haven't resolved the issue in our own country. And until we do, I think we should stop firing those things off elsewhere. And gives the example of the England under-17 team. Um, the England under-17 team that won the World Cup. Um... And he talks about having spoken to Troy Townsend, who's uh, an official with Kick It Out, the anti-racism group. Um, he showed a picture of our under-17s on social media. The comments about that team were disgusting. They're part of our England family. Basically, someone had put up a photo of the England under-17 team. And let's say a lot of the replies revolved around the racial composition of the team. Uh, and people were, were uh, you know, oh, is this, is it, I thought this was England. I thought this was the England team. You know, this kind of, this kind of comment. Um, so Southgate essentially trying to say, you know, to see them abused in this way is absolutely disgusting. When we speak about other countries, I find it difficult to deflect what we've seen there. So I, I think, I find that quite interesting from Southgate. It's, it's an interesting comment. Like, you know, it's, I can't remember, uh, Graham Taylor actually, now that I think of it, did say some things along these lines, but long after he was out of the England job. So I actually think it's quite admirable that Gareth Southgate would raise a point uh, like that from his position as the current England manager to to point out some of the uh, things that are going on there. Let's wrap today's report on sport, please. I'm having a buzz floating around. Anyone want to not give me a shell? Six million ways to die. Choose one. I don't like the name him because, you know, I, I actually think he's a very good writer. Mm. But it, it's a daft. This is a dig at football people who know the game, using statistics uh, to try and undermine people who have eyes, ears, and common sense. What I'm saying is that sometimes the eyes and ears mislead you. The ears, particularly if it's Paul Merson talking to might mislead you. This is a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls, you know the stones. Have a proper debate. Look to debate him. You could... Sell tickets for that. All I, have to back it up <laughs> All I have to back it up is the factual record of what, of what took place. Bring it on. This was a, a dig at football people who know the game. He's the one who's on the attack, don't forget. Hmm. And has been for some time without naming people.
All right, Emmett Malone, I'm going to need you to compare Declan Rice to one of the following, please. Paul McGrath, Roy Keane, or a young Franz Beckenbauer. I, I think he's a bit of all three there, on yeah. I think uh, I, I don't think you should uh, play it down by limiting it to just one. Um, yeah, look, he had a good he had a good uh, debut. Uh, <laughs> Martin O'Neill was asked afterwards about him being the new Paul McGrath, and he, he played along willingly enough while saying it was setting the bar rather high for me. Then he then then indulged in a bit of um, uh, uh, flattery uh, uh, of the of the teenager. Uh, Rice did, uh, he did very well, you know, he did very well. Um, but um, but it says something about the rest of the performance, the game, the occasion, the team generally that um, that the, the scale, you know, the extent to which people seized upon it. Um, he had a good debut. It's very promising. Uh, I think he's expected to be involved with the under the under twenty ones now again. Um, but you know, clearly, clearly, there's a very long way to go. We might be looking back in in five years' time. Uh, you know, has that been a night where a really important player came into the squad? But um, but but people have come in and, and made bigger impacts than that, and, and slowly drifted off the scene again. I was interested though that O'Neill went with the McGrath comparison. Are, are you saying maybe part of that was he's still in flattery mode? We're still in the the era where we have to um, or the little few month period here where we have to make sure to say the right things and keep him on side and get him to declare for us yeah i don't know what it was i was sort of i was sort of surprised because it was put to him as the, the question was very much about mcgrath um and uh, and the question the way the question was phrased um was very much an invitation to o'neill to uh, to play along with, with with somebody who had a piece half written in their heads um <laughs> and um and o'neill cautioned you know, quite quite rightly, that 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 is setting the bar tremendously high for a young player who is less than a full season playing uh, senior football in uh, in England, um, and has just made uh, one friendly appearance um, in a sort of nothing match in Turkey uh, for us. So uh, he he did all of that, and then and then he sort of said, yeah, yeah, yeah there is a bit of that about him. So it was it was a li- I was a little bit surprised by it. I think there's a, an element probably of him wanting to say the right things as as you suggest. Uh, we won't know for another few months for sure that um, that that Rice is going to be on board for the long term. Um, Rice himself sounds very convincing about it most of the time. He sounds very uh, committed. Uh, talks about you know so make, he makes all the right noises after the match the other night. He was talking about there being a tear in his eye when the national anthem was playing because he thought of his grandparents from Galway. Uh, but you know when he talked about it, I I, I talked to him. Um, what was it uh, Sunday week last Sunday week at the awards and very positive there talking about there being no decision to be made and yet when he's asked about um, whether the English FA have made any approach. Um, he, he, he says that they haven't, that there's been no contact whatsoever. But he twice used the term yet um, uh, in, 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 in speaking about the English FA. And then on, on, on Friday night after the game, um, he talks about being committed and, and sounds very you know convincing about being committed. Um, 
and still manages to say at the moment, at some stage, you know, about their about uh, about his being his focus being on playing for Ireland. So you know, uh, we asked O'Neill about it. I thought in the in the aftermath of uh, the comments that that Rice had made um, that O'Neill would be far more uh, you know uh, you know uh, concrete about uh, about the player's future. He had previously said that uh, he was talking about uh, Grealish and saying about how. Um, uh, he had not wanted to be included in squads for competitive games because of the situation that that might put him in if if if, if he was called upon to play, um, and so there seemed to be the su- su- suggestion that Rice was in the same category. I thought that he would have moved out of that category um, in the wake of his comments last weekend, uh, but certainly for O'Neill, you know, he wasn't counting his chickens. That's for sure. The, the tone of his answer was very much that um, that we have to wait and see. The, the choice remains the players. Um, there were lots of positive signs, both the comments and the presence of of the player's father uh, at the game on Friday night. But that there's some way to go. Yeah. See, Ken, this is why I'm worried. Emmett's doing nothing to calm my nerves over this issue. <laughs> I just, I just can't believe him that he that he would change at this point. I mean, Jack Grealish. Evidently, quite a similar case in a lot of ways. But you never played for the senior team, you know. To, to actually play for that team and then change, that would really be. Well, maybe Alex Bruce did it. Actually, come to think of it, but Alex Bruce did it after Ireland yeah. had kind of left him on the exactly. shelf for a I long think, time. I think the Alex Bruce case is different in that I think Bruce would be happily still playing for us. Um, if if he was getting his game, um, but he was, he, you know, he drifted off the scene completely. There was no future for him playing for the Republic of Ireland, and so he made a decision informed by that, which you know I don't think you, you can have any complaints about. I think it would be remarkable. I, I I agree with you. I think it would be remarkable, and it'd be a remarkable kind of take on these rules. I I think it's surprising that uh, the English FA haven't intervened i don't there's certainly no like we've had a lot of talk of gentlemen's agreements recently and i certainly don't think there's one of those with the with the english uh i think that the progress that rice has made over the last year at west ham um you would certainly think that he would be of interest to the underage setup in england and you would have at least a manager making a call to see whether he's interested in in switching so it seems incredible that they haven't even made that phone call that that you know that that kind of minimal um kind of effort to to check out the player um but that's what he says um I, I, you know, look, I think there's certainty and there's certainty and, um, you know, there are levels of it. And, mm. and Rice, um, Rice, you know, says a lot of the right things. And yet, and yet he leaves, he seems to leave tiny openings for, for doubt. I, I, this is a game I think that we play amongst ourselves um, sometimes too much. Um, and, and yet it's a hard one to resist. Yeah, it's, it's, it's maybe because there, there seems, okay, it may have to do with the, the lack of any, real competitive context for anything that's happening at the moment with the international team that this issue of you know eligibility and how Irish are you seems to have um, been spoken about a lot in the in the last little while I wonder though do, I mean do we have a bit of a problem kind of coming down the the tracks like I saw Neil O'Reardon wrote a piece about the under 21 team that played in <laughs> played in Tala on uh, Thursday night uh, two out of the, out of the eleven were actually born in Ireland. I mean, that's that is quite a lot of foreign-born players for any country to be well, I think it's born two of the eleven were born in twenty-six counties, I think. But um, a, a couple more. Oh, and they, were sorry, born, in the in the Republic of Ireland, that, indeed, that, yeah. that is that is how it's yeah, yeah. yeah, so uh, I think so. Yeah. Um, do we have a bit? I'm not sure. I mean, it, it depends what way you look at it. I think that you would have to say that No King has a due, this due role that he's the under 21 manager, but he's also essentially the the kind of you know chief talent spotter, player recruiter, whatever you want, whatever way you want to put it. And um, 
And though I, I think he denies it, I, I, you know, I've spoken to him about it, and his, his line is that he picks the, the best team for the under-21s. I, there is this outside feeling that the under-21s is, is kind of um, is, is used to, uh, to attach players to the cause and to, to kind of confirm their eligibility and to, to bring them into the fold. And, um, you know, look, the under-21s have never qualified for anything. Um, uh, there have been some really disappointing campaigns by them or whatever. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I think if you put that to most supporters, that, you know, a lot of, a lot of them would be sympathetic enough with that, that kind of approach if they are bringing in players for the senior team. Um, I think there is this wider issue. I, I'm kind of, I've said it again and again for, for years, you know, uh, that, that the, 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 you know, the ideal system here would be to be able to look into a player's heart and see who he wants to play for. And, and in some cases, that might be more than one country because of, of a real, genuine, dual sense of identity. But there's also a game going on here, which is, you know, which is recruiting players on an almost club-like level um, and offering them, you know, the professional option to do. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure on, the, on young players, from parents, from agents, from clubs, to do one thing or another, sometimes to play for us. In the case of a club, I've talked to people who said that there was pressure from a club to play for them or an, and an agent because it would make them an international player. Um, and they, they, there wasn't much kind of um, uh, possibility of that perceived on any other front. And yet there's, there's pressure on, on other players is not to play for us because there's the opportunity maybe to play for England which makes them more marketable you know more valuable more cherished whatever um, so so there's there's a lot going on here and I think you know I think the rule change which I think was kind of largely inspired by well I sorry in our case we'd say with Northern Ireland it's a completely different situation but the broader rule change about people being able to change was kind of you know that the, the examples I repeatedly saw cited were related to uh, players of African origin playing for France at underage level and then wanting you know then getting left out of the, the senior setup and, and wanting to be able to switch and I think that's a good thing I, I think by and large it's a good thing that these players have those options but there's certainly you know you know that it's difficult to avoid the conclusion that in some cases it's abused and uh, and it's and it has unfortunate side effects Emmett I don't want to analyze the game itself on Friday too deeply you'll be relieved to know but I do want to just ask a question about the system because it seems like every now and again a couple of times in Martin O'Neill's reign we've had a free shot at trying something new in a friendly match and he's tried it and it's generally been a bit of a disaster why is it that there doesn't seem to be a sort of flexibility in this Martin O'Neill team to play different tactical systems when all the players should be used to playing with different systems at their clubs I genuinely don't know the answer to that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm repeatedly mystified by it, and I'm mystified by again our ability not to, you know, uh, keep the ball to pass it. Uh, uh, it you know, you, you sometimes seem to see players who seem very capable of, of, of doing both at club level coming to an international team in a friendly match, which you know there wasn't a great deal of intensity to, so there shouldn't be a huge amount of pressure, um, and yet they can do neither um, when playing in a green shirt. I, 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 it's, it's, it's really puzzling. The system we saw the other night. Um, involved the you know the use of wing backs James McLean doesn't have a huge amount of experience of playing in that system um, and he didn't do very well at all um, uh, James Coleman does have a fair bit of experience of it I think and um, didn't do brilliantly either you know not 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 on the attacking front I think we were 35 minutes into the game before uh, before the pair of them you know both got over the halfway line and provided the sort of width that we would have been expecting certainly it was the sort of width that 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 the two new strikers um uh, Hogan and Maguire really required um, they, they needed a kind of variety of, of, of balls coming into them um, uh, they, they needed to be receiving the ball while they were facing goal a bit you know um, there were a lot of problems there but, but the system really didn't work we also had you know I, I mean 
you know, players like Conor Horan, who, who who can look very impressive at, at Aston Villa, were, you know, fairly anonymous. Um, but we did what we normally do, which was we ended up with kind of well, nine instead of ten men because we were playing with two strikers, um, defending from the edge of the area. The Turks pressed us a little bit more than we pressed them, but wasn't huge intensity and and yet and yet you know we spend most of the game kind of inside the last third of the pitch um that's not what the 352 i presume was intended to to uh, to achieve um but um but we fall into the same old traps um we're not a team that is by design playing against the ball you know allowing the other side to have the, the ball and then trying to hit them uh, you know on the break what we're doing is losing the ball failing to retain it um and it is one of the reasons that i think you know rice's uh, debut was heralded to some extent was that here we saw somebody who you know uh, while mclean early on you know was just hoofing it uh, even when he wasn't under any great pressure just launching it up in the air not even forward uh, sometimes out of play, sometimes in, on, onto the field, just really terrible stuff under no pressure at all. Here we had in right somebody who from you know the first half was trying to play away his way out of defence in the second half occasionally, you know, looking at his options, weighing them up, either playing a kind of simple but constructive pass or trying to go past the player and, and, and really um but you know, it's simple stuff. Um but here from a young player we saw somebody who was prepared to do it uh, with Ireland. Um that's 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 promised, but that's what's needed. That's the fundamental shift uh, 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 that that's required. And I, I, to be honest, I think it's a far more basic requirement than anything to do with the the, the formation, which which you know is uh, which is sort of the kind of tinkering around the edges. We we need a yeah. we need we need to change the the approach. We saw a, a shift in formation, but without any kind of fundamental shift in the way we play, and that's not going to achieve anything. All right, Emmett, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Emmett. Cheers. Take care. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to reveal a piece of information now. Well, I haven't, I haven't smoked a cigarette in four days. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, this guy, cheer up. How about you wake up? Wake up. Wake up to what's happening in the, in the world. All right, Kenny, I'm going to need you to get us all excited for tomorrow night's international friendlies. Oh, yeah. Um, Who are we looking at? What's the big one? What's the glamour tie? The glamour tie, I suppose, Owen, is Germany against Brazil. That's pretty glamorous. Yeah. um, as glamorous as it gets. uh, Germany had a one-all draw against Spain. Uh, Muller scored a goal from 25 yards, which De Gea afterwards said, I'm not sure about this ball. Um, Is this the first time they've met since... Um, the 6-1 I'm 7-1 I'm 7-1 seven one. Seven one. Uh, I'm not sure actually they may have I don't, I don't know they may have played each other to the, were they then, no Brazil wouldn't have been in the Confederations Cup um, but yeah that's that's a big game I mean um, Russia are playing France Russia lost 3-0 to Brazil um, the other uh, the other day in, in Moscow so that's another kind of a big one what else Spain against Argentina no Lionel Messi actually the Argentina coach uh so Jorge Sampaoli has got an interesting approach to the um, World Cup diary uh, thing by publishing his World Cup diary before the World Cup, uh, and it's full of it's full of uh, interesting little snippets like uh, Lionel Messi's international career is like a game of Russian roulette. He's got a revolver pointed at his temple called the World Cup, and if he doesn't win it, it goes off and blows his head off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's dramatic. 
<laughs> that's yeah. No, th- sorry. The exact quote uh, that's, no, that's given. Fine. That's fine. fine. Messi has a revolver put into his head called the World Cup, and if he doesn't win it, he's shot and killed. <laughs> Some Pauli explained. As a result, he can't enjoy his talent. The negativity surrounding international football damages Messi. Save it for after the tournament. Mm. But you know, he's it's it's coming out in April, so uh, we'll all get to see what his what his thoughts are ahead of yeah. the big event. We'll look out for that. Thanks again. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the World Service. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those 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 boys.